hit me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for... Suckatack. The number one award-seeking comedy podcast about comedy... Podcast. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy podcast podcaster, Mark Mark Hershaw. Hershaw. Mark Hershaw. Mark Hershaw. Mark Yes, it's me, Mark Hershon, your host and found object for Epi 139 of Succotash, the comedy soundcast soundcast. This is an installment of Succotash Chats, where we focus on talking with a soundcaster, or a comedian, or a comedian soundcaster, or in this case, a magazine publisher, editor, writer, soundcaster. Speaking of found objects, our guest is Davy Rothbart the creator of Found Magazine, and, as of a couple of months ago, the Found Soundcast as well. Here's a snippet of my upcoming conversation with Mr. Rothbart. So what do you think the fascination is for people for these found scraps of other people's lives? Well, I, I think, you know, and, and, and once I read some, I think, you know, it'll connect even more for, for people, um, just to get a sense of the range of stuff we, we get. But But I think, you know, we have a hunger for the truth for authenticity, you know, anyone who's, we, and, and we have a natural curiosity about people. So, you know, it's kind of like people watching on paper, you know, if, if you're, if you like people watching and, and are curious about, you know, I wonder what's going on in that person's mind. Well, these notes, they're so honest and they're so raw because the people that wrote them, it never occurred to them that anybody else would ever see this stuff, you know? <laughs> we will have that chat coming up in just a little bit, me and Mr. Rothbart. I am coming to you from Studio F, my Fiat parked in a parking lot in the dark of night because Studio P is unavailable. So uh, this is our auxiliary studio for Succotash. We have two bursts of durst this episode. You may have noticed that I'm using the word soundcast quite a bit. Our grassroots campaign to shift from people using podcast to soundcast is slowly taking off. You may even hear our guest, Davey Rothbart, mention that he'll back our play and start using it in his show. We'll see whether he's as good as his word. Speaking of other soundcasters, I had a delightful visit from Phil Lairness of Chillpack Hollywood Hour fame and his significant other, Lily Holloman, this past Sunday. They were up in San Francisco for a wedding, then hopped over the Golden Gate Bridge to join me and my wife. Yes, ladies, I am married. Sorry. At the Sausalito Art Festival, which happens every Labor Day. Afterwards, we headed up the hill to Studio P and visited with Joe Polino, his wife, Juline, and their new kitten, for a little bit of uh, of beverage and fun. That was cool. Um, all right. I've been able to change the title for our show on iTunes, by the way, and on our SuckatashShow.com site, also our Facebook page, our Twitter account, and our SoundCloud page. We are officially the Soundcast Soundcast. Uh, the one place I'm still waiting to make the change is in Bill Haywatt's open and close to this show. Uh, Joe Polino is getting to it as quickly as he can, trying to make room in the busy Studio P schedule to get Bill in front of the microphone. We're also trying to raise our music director, Scott Carvey, to try and get him to make a few tweaks to the show's opening theme, but it is happening slowly, people, but it's happening, so have no doubt. 
Just a few days left before my live appearance with the Spaghetti Jam 40th Year Reunion Improv Comedy Show. Tickets are going fast, but there are still some left. So if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area on Sunday, September 11th, 9-11, that's right. We're at the Throckmorton Theater in downtown Mill Valley. Jump on over to Throckmorton Theater. That's T-H-E-A-T-R-E, the old-fashioned way, dot org. Throckmortontheater.org for the showtime tickets and other details. Don't forget also that later in the month, September 23rd through the 25th, I will be at the 5th Annual Los Angeles Podcast Festival. In addition to hosting the Journalism and Podcasting panel on Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m., I'll be set up in the podcast lab the rest of the time with my equipment doing interviews, so stop on by and let's chat. I've already got a couple of folks set to drop by. Adam Spiegelman from the Proudly Resents Soundcast says he'll be there. And Chris Gore from the Podcrash Show, the old Podcrash Show. And also Film Threat Magazine, which is in the midst of a Kickstarter campaign to get back into production. He will visit. So if you get a chance, there's still a few days left to get up to Kickstarter to look for Film Threat Magazine. He is uh, attempting to uh, restart that fantastic publication, which I uh, used to subscribe to and really enjoyed a lot. And um, you'll check it out and you'll like it too, I'm sure. That's Film Threat. Go up to kickstarter.com, look for it, and uh, kick in some money, won't you? Switching gears and getting back into this episode, I don't know when I've seen such a whacked out presidential race as we have this year, but I am sure glad we have our friend Will Durst, political comedian and social commentator, to help us keep things sorted out. Here's our first burst of Durst coming at you this show with Will Durst. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words concerning Donald Trump's recent attempt to appear more presidential by slightly softening his position of shooting undocumented immigrants on sight. Lately, he seems to be almost kind of sort of nearly becoming semi-reasonable. But even the fluffiest, down-filled Donald Trump could still poke huge holes in our democracy without swinging his elbows very wide. The commander-in-chief gets to command, chiefly, plotting not just the direction of the ship estate, but also staffing the helm and determining who gets to work in the ship's laundry. With victory comes the spoils, and that includes picking a cabinet, judges, and over 300 other appointments that don't require Senate approval, including commission heads, council members, foundation flunkies, national park eagle wranglers, theme park roller coaster rail greasers, swan boat concession sommeliers, and employees at shoeshine kiosks in federally funded transportation hubs. So, based on his experience in the public spotlight thus far, here's an educated guess as to who President Trump might pick for certain positions. Supreme Court Justice, Judge Judy, Surgeon General, Hannibal Lecter, Secretary of State, Vladimir Putin, Secretary of Agriculture, Tommy Chong, Environmental Protection Agency, whoever is CEO of Mobile Exxon, FBI Director, Rudy Giuliani, Attorney General, Gary Busey, Postmaster General, Scott Bio, Secretary of Defense, Buford T. Justice, Secretary of Interior, Arsenio Hall, Ambassador to the United Nations, Melania Trump, Secretary of Education, Sarah Palin, Secretary of Health and Human Services, Martin Shkreli, Secretary of Labor, Mike Tyson, Secretary of Transportation, that old guy from Duck Dynasty, Secretary of the Treasury, Scrooge McDuck, 
Executive Administrator of the Small Business Administration, Carl Icahn. And finally, Federal Deputy Northeast Regional Bridge Inspector, Chris Christie. For Succotash, the comedy podcast, podcast, I'm Will Durst. Grab more Durst over at his home site, willdurst.com, or go ahead and say howdy to him over on Twitter, at Will Durst. All right, just one more thing before we get into our interview with Found Magazine founder, Davey Rothbart, and that is a word from our sponsor. Hello, friends. You may be familiar with the expression, you'll never know a man until you walk a mile in his shoes. Imagine how well you'll know a fellow if you hike that same mile in his pants. Introducing Henderson's Drifter Chinos. These vaguely khaki, shapeless, baggy trousers have that overly comfortable, lived-in look. So much so that each pair sports its own pattern of vaguely disgusting and indefinable stains. The designers at Henderson's Pants spent many Many, many hours hanging out at bus stops, rest stops, and highway underpasses, paying close attention to the homeless and destitute who drift in and out of such places. They filled their pads with sketches of the kinds of clothing that makes life on the road seem exotic and romantic. Then, when they realized how far from Henderson's headquarters they had drifted, and without enough sense to bring enough money or credit cards to get back, they were forced to burn those sketch pads in metal trash barrels in order to keep warm. Enough members of Henderson's design team did make it back to reconstruct what they had seen from memory, and thus the Drifter Chino was born. In addition to the unique stain patterns, every pair has plenty of pockets to carry spare change, bottle openers, cigarettes, a rock, and a dirty bandana. And with each pair you buy right now, Henderson's is throwing in a pair of Chili Blaine's fingerless gloves. Originally designed for the down-and-out, deadbeat dads, and boxcar Willie. Henderson's Drifter Chinos are available wherever they leave the dumpster unlocked at night. That's Henderson's, makers of threadbare knickers and patchwork overalls since 1867. And now, back to Sacketash. Coming to to Sacketash is uh, Davey Rothbart from uh, Found, the magazine, the musical, the podcast whatever you whatever whatever medium you want to find him in he's available to you that's right and uh, actually i've started a, a one man campaign on succotash to uh, change the name of podcast to soundcast uh, well that makes sense i i i'm i'll get behind that yeah just uh, i've i've had the conversation with a number of other uh, podcasters over the last couple of years since the iPod basically sort of fell out of production. And although right. uh, they still make a nanopod and things like that, sort of the the reason that started the whole medium is no longer around. So it seemed like, well, you know what? Let's why don't we why don't we rename this thing and give it something a little bit more generic as opposed to name it after something that doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah, it's like we don't call uh, we don't call an iPhone that we might listen to music on. We don't call it a Walkman, you know. That's exactly right. So yeah, see how far I'm with you as the technology evolves. Yeah, yeah, the the name for it can change too. Why not? Why not? Well, uh, Davey, it's a pleasure to have you uh, have you with us, um, or I guess to have you with yeah. me. Uh, at the moment, I'm the only person listening to this, but soon it'll be be heard by dozens, if not hundreds, of people. <laughs> no, it'll be great. You know, found is such a 
sort of uh, community art project. So I'm always eager for new people to learn about it because it kind of depends on people like your listeners to, you know, get involved and participate. Yeah. And I, I've not often had the chance to do this, but um, you are uh, uh, somebody who's, um, whose work I've followed for a long time. So I'll probably repurpose portions of uh, my interview to create an article for, for Huffington Post as well. So, uh, oh, that'd, be, that'd, be, that'd be awesome. Yeah. We're, uh, I appreciate that. And yeah, you know, found is, you know, it, it sort of requires a team of people around the country and across the world, like finding stuff and sending it into us. That's how we get finds for the magazine. And that's how we get people listening to the podcast, to the final podcast, you know, helping us sort of track down and find the people who, who wrote these notes that we've fallen in love with over the years. Um, yeah. And with that in mind, uh, I, I, th- I think I may have told your publicist this, but I, I remember seeing the very first edition of found magazine. I'm not exactly sure why I yeah. happened to stumble upon it. Uh, but when it first came out, I, I saw it on a newsstand I believe it was either in – what year did it come out, the first edition? 2000, 2001 was the very first one. Okay. Um, we made, yeah, about 800 copies just at a Kinko's in Chicago and then, uh, and then printed some more once, once those were gone. And uh, I think the second one came out in 2002. But, yeah, you, it must have been years ago that you, that you stumbled upon it. Yeah, and I'm trying to think. It was 2001. I was in – where was I in 2001? It must have been San Francisco, and I came across it somewhere. Oh. And uh, well, I'm going to guess up somewhere like, you know, when Found Magazine first started, a few cool bookstores reached out. They had heard about what we were up to with the magazine and they, you know, they, they asked if they could stock it basically. So I, I remember it was places like Dog-Eared Books and, and Green Apple Books in, uh, in San Francisco, Pegasus Books in, in Berkeley and Oakland. And, and, uh, but San Francisco was always one of the places where we seemed to get the most found stuff and, 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 and had really fun events even from the very beginning. Yeah, it probably would have been Green Apple then because I used to hang out there a bit. So that would have been it. And I just remember yep. coming across it and just saying, "What? what is this? How did, how, <laughs> and so I'll ask you the question, how did you, how did you come up with the idea of putting just these uh, this stuff that I guess at first you found and then other people would send in, but just stuff you found on the street? It would either be a note or it could be a letter or it could be a rec- tape recording or anything. Like a, somebody yeah. would drop a cassette on the ground and somebody else would scoop it up and find it. And so what, what was the genesis of saying, you know what, I'm going to start collating all of this material. Yeah. And we found great tapes. I'll, I, I'll have to tell you a story about a great found cassette, but um, yeah, you know, I had always kind of been fascinated with these little scraps of paper I would find on the ground or on the street, you know, uh, a love letter, a to-do list, some journal entry. And, and I had my own little collection of these, maybe a Polaroid that I'd see on the, you know, on the, someone leave behind on the bus. But it was one note in particular that kind of sparked the idea of doing found and uh, of, of making a magazine out of this stuff. And what, what happened was I was living in Chicago and late one night I came home and I, on my car, I saw someone had left a note on my windshield. Um, and my name's Davey, but the note was addressed to Mario. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, well, what the hell is this about? And uh, and by the way, Mark, I forgot to get the ground rules from you. How do you feel about uh, curse words on your podcast, oh, on your fuck, soundcast? Fuck, that's okay. Bring bring oh. it. We we have an, a, okay. Yeah, we have an, right, ex- well, we, 
We have an ex- I, we have an explicit rating, so go for it. Okay, great. I have a sailorism of myself, but also just a lot of these found notes. They're all real people, right? You know, expressing themselves. So a lot of them have this kind of language in it. But um, on on my windshield, this note to Mario. I, I had to, you know, obviously I'm going to open it up see what this person had to say. Um, and so the note says, it says, Mario, I fucking hate you. <laughs> You said you had to work. Why is your car here at her place? Huh. You're a fucking liar. I hate you. I fucking hate you. Signed, Amber. P.S. Page me later. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was so funny. You know, she's so angry and upset with him, but still a little bit hopeful and in love. You know, page me later. And, of course, it wasn't even Mario's car. It was my car. Right, so right. I'm like, you know, was this guy innocent? And she just assumed he was guilty. Uh, who knows what was going on? But... To me, it, I was, it was just an example of one of these great finds where, you know, it's just a, a fragment of the story, and it's up to you to piece together what the rest of it is. And so, um, now, did you? I have to ask: Did you maintain your journalistic integrity and try and track the, the person down? Well, to I w- set the story straight. I wish Amber had left her <laughs> her pager number. I certainly would have let her know she it was a uh, she had mistaken my car for for Mario's, but. Um, no, I, I wasn't able to find her. I, I, I and I, I'm going to come back to that because that's kind of some of the inspiration for the Found podcast. But, um, but basically, you know, I was starting to show my friends this great note, and and so many of my friends had some awesome find on on their fridge. It was like you know a kid's drawing or, a, or some weird shopping list they'd found, and it seemed like a shame to me that only the people that walked through their kitchen would get to see that stuff. You know, they tape it to their fridge. I thought a magazine, you know, Found magazine. That would kind of be a way for everyone to share what they were finding with everybody else. And so, you know, I just started telling my friends about it. And, you know, people started kind of giving me stuff they found or, or they, they, something their friend had found. And we had enough stuff for the first issue. So me and my cousins, they were like 17 and 12 at the time. And how, we, how old were you? I was mid, like 24 or something like that, 25. Uh-huh. Um, we put together the first issue of, uh, of Found just at – taped it together, you know, using scissors and tape and just, just, you know, zine style. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we went to a Kinko's, made, we were going to make 50 copies. That's how big my, my ambitions were. But it's like <laughs> punk rock kid working at like 3 in the morning at the Kinko's in Chicago. He, he was like, no, nah, man, this is awesome. We got to make 800. And so <laughs> we all stayed up all night printing these and, and collating them, stapling them. And, and uh you know, we had a party the next week, and maybe a hundred friends came, like a launch party. Maybe they all they all bought copies for like five bucks, but that still left me with seven hundred copies in boxes, like filling my apartment. And I was leaving on a trip for a few weeks, so my roommates were kind of pissed off because you could barely edge around them. <laughs> and then when I got back to town a few weeks later, like all the boxes were gone, and I, I figured they either threw them out or put them in this basement that used to always flood down there. And they were like, "No, man," they said. So many people were coming over to buy like one or three or ten copies for their friends. They said the, – the neighbors actually called the police. They thought they were selling drugs out of the apartment. <laughs> there was a stream of people. And I was shocked and you know, obviously thrilled. But just it never occurred to me that my own little sort of personal hobby, my, my own little fascination for these scraps of paper, these little glimpses into other people's lives, I, you know, I never thought that would resonate with so many other people. But I was like – well, this is awesome. Let's, I guess let's print some more. And so we started printing more. And of course, um, you know, the great thing was that the more people that were seeing Found Magazine, the more people were sending us stuff. You know, they were sending us their own finds. And it really grew 
organically. And you know, once once some of the indie, cool indie bookstores and even you know Tower Records, RIP, you know, once they started stocking yeah. the magazine, people were sending finds in from all all over the world, and and it's just been a really fun journey the last fifteen years to get these finds. You know, so some you know, and I, I'll have a bunch here to share with you today, but you know, some are so heartbreaking, some are really hilarious, and you know, each one is just like this unfiltered look into into a, the life of, of someone we share the world with. So what do you think the fascination is for people for these found scraps of other people's lives? Well, I, I think, you know, and, and, and once I read some, I think, you know, it'll connect even more for, for people um, just to get a sense of the range of stuff we, we get. But, but I think, you know, we have a hunger for the truth, for authenticity, you know, anyone who's, we, and, and we have a natural curiosity about people. So, you know, it's kind of like people watching on paper. You know, if, if you're, if you like people watching and, and are curious about, you know, I wonder what's going on in that person's mind. Well, these notes, they're so honest and they're so raw because the people that wrote them, it never occurred to them that anybody else would ever see this stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah. so, so, like, they're literally writing, like, one letter just to their friend, and that's their only audience in mind. So, so you know, there's – my mom calls it – she calls Found Magazine reality TV but real. Oh, that's funny. I think it's funny because it is like, you know, sometimes someone's even just writing like a letter to themselves, like a journal entry or a to-do list. And so they never expected anyone else to read this. But I think because of that, they're so, you know, just honest and candid. Well, I have to say, after hearing the first episode, and I've heard all, all the episodes at this point, and I think you've yeah. had three. Uh, and I like the fact you do like a little two-minute teaser episode in between the weeks that sure. you're not doing them. But the first episode, the Asian Elvis episode. Oprah, Oprah, yeah, Oprah, yeah, yeah. Oprah, um, is so engaging. And, and the, I mean, I, ha- I ha- have to give it to you that the way you put oh, it together cool. really, you know, I mean, it is in the spirit of a well-edited reality show in that will you find this guy or won't you find this guy? And you really play it right down to the wire that you really think, oh, they, he never found him. What a bummer. I've listened to this thing for an hour and he's not going to find him? Come on. And, and well, that was our fear too. Um, and just to give background, you know, this was a found letter that we printed in one of the early issues of Found Magazine. And it was always a favorite of mine because it's this guy, he's like 21, um, he says he's an Asian American and, and his dream is to become the Asian Oprah. And so he is writing le- this letter to like entertainment companies, um, you know, kind of pitching himself as this great entertainer and TV talk show host. He wants to be what he calls the first mega, the first mega Asian star. Right. And basically to do what he says, you know, do, do for the Asian community what Oprah has done for African Americans. And this, and this so, letter was found in like a parking lot in LA, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and in like, like 1999 or something like that. And so, um, you know, I always wondered, this guy says his name is Jet. Right. And I always wondered like, who is Jet? Where is Jet? What, what is he doing now? What has his path been? He obviously, if, if he had become the Asian Oprah, we would know, all know about Jet, you know? So, so what, what happened to him? And, and, um, you know, Google returned some results. I was able to, you know, get a sense of where who he might be, where he might be actually in Chicago, and um, but but I couldn't really reach him, no matter how hard I tried. So I actually just ended up going to Chicago to essentially knock on his door and and see if he would share his story. And and he turned out to be have done some pretty incredible things. 
even if you never became the Asian Oprah. Yeah, I'll play a uh, I'll play a little clip from that episode. Uh, I'll drop it in here in, okay. in the interview Great. just so folks can hear it because it I mean it really is fascinating. The 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 uh, and I won't <laughs> what I won't play is uh, and you can talk a little bit about it. Just the uh, amazing amount of of uh, work that went into tracking him down. I mean, you found like an old frat brother of his and yeah, yeah. just, I'm, it was crazy. Well, it, you know, I, there's so many of these notes that have been in, in found magazine over the years that I just, I've always wondered about the people that wrote them, you know, like it, it, it part of the joy is of course, just wondering about who they are and what the real story is. But the few times when, when someone's gotten in touch and said, Hey, that's mine. They've never been mad. They've, usually just been curious like why would why would people care about these details of my love life and I explained we can relate you know I've I've written the same pitiful love note a hundred times myself and but it, it's always been really this sort of incredible moment to get a chance to meet the people who, who have always wondered about and and so that was the idea of the found podcast you know let, if we can't find Mario and Amber from the, from the note that sparked the idea for found magazine you know let, let's find the people that wrote some of these other found notes or, or let's at least you know, talk about the themes behind these notes, you know, the kinds of ideas that they spark in our heads. And so I, I was like, so it's when I meet these people and we've been recording a bunch more future episodes of the found podcast, like they're like giant celebrities to me because I've wondered about them for so long. And yeah, so it took a few steps, uh, it, some extensive kind of Facebook sleuthing and all this other stuff to try to track down jet. But, um, I was pretty determined. <laughs> How hard do you think it would be to to do some of the the legwork you've been doing to track these people down if we didn't have the internet and social media? Do you think? Well, yeah. Well, it it would it would be a lot harder. It would be nearly impossible for a layman. You know, I, I suppose a private investigator would have their means and could probably track some of these folks down. But but it is interesting how Facebook and social media, like you know, if if somebody's around in the U.S., I mean. You can you can usually find them. You know, if Google, even if Google doesn't return a lot of results, sometimes you know you can just kind of find them through social media. Now, the 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 challenge for me, there's one episode coming up, and it's this beautiful beautiful letter. It was found in a like abandoned demolished car on the roadside in Hawaii, and it's this young woman is writing a letter to God, and it's a very mm-hmm. it's a very heartfelt letter, and and the the content has always moved me. And so I actually talked to the guy who found it, and this was found like ten years ago hmm. in Hawaii, and um, and he kind of told me more of the details about it, and and so we we now are are about to reach out to this woman, and we were able to find her on Facebook, but but then part of it's about writing a delicate message so that you're not shocking somebody. Hey, do you remember that letter? <laughs> do you remember that letter you wrote to God like ten years ago? Wow, that you left behind it in a demolished like Honda Fit. Uh, wow, uh, wow, wow, wow. Uh, well, we found it and we published it in our magazine and now we want to talk to you and hear the rest of the story. That's wild. So, <laughs> so but I'd love to hear some more of the, the things you've set aside. But before we get into that, how, how, what was going on in, in the life of Davey Rothbard before you found Found? Sure. I mean, yeah, I was 25. I, you know, I studied creative writing in, in college. So at the University of Michigan and um, you know, I was just basically living in Chicago, working at some odd jobs and, and trying to get focus on my writing. And um, I actually had also just started working with uh, the radio show This American Life. Mm-hmm. So this was pretty early on in, in, in This American Life's existence. Maybe it had been going a few years, but 
um, I just started doing some stories with them and was really enjoying that. But but at the same time, I, I don't know. I was pretty directionless, and I don't know. I, I I feel lucky that I found that note on my windshield that night because it really did change the course of my life the last fifteen years, and it's grown into you know so much, so many other things. My, my brother and I, uh, his name's Peter. We we traveled the country for ten years doing kind of a found live show where I would read some of the finds and he would play songs based on the found notes. And um, I don't know. I mean, honestly, just, just having a ch- the opportunity to have read all these incredible finds that people have sent into us over the years, like that's been really meaningful. And I don't know, it's made my life a lot richer. Now you mentioned your mom's commentary on, on what it's like. Uh, yeah. but what how, Were your parents supportive of this uh, sort of crazy, <laughs> crazy venture? Well, yes and no. I would, mostly yes. Um, I will say, you know, when I came home, you know, they knew I was in Chicago trying to get a writing career off the ground, and and uh, I came home and told them actually I was switching gears. I was going to make a magazine uh, based on trash. <laughs> like, yeah, they their eyebrows might have gone up, but um, at the same time, you know, they're they're curious people. They're they're engaged people. They they love other people's stories. Both both. My mom and my dad are, you know, kind of people that just always ask people to, you know, they they, they skip the small talk and ask people to talk about real things, and and they kind of once they saw, I think, I think once they saw the first issue and they understood what this project was really about. That's interesting. Um, have you ever found a note from somebody you knew? Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> you know, I, yeah, my friends and I who who helped me on Found Magazine, we always talk about. You know what exactly constitutes a found item? Because we we have one friend; she's a real purist. She says it must be blowing down the street. <laughs> I, I said, "What if it's just laying there?" She said, "No, it must be blowing." <laughs> uh, and but you know, I've had, for example, one kid in in Florida. He sent in a series of post-it notes that his parents wrote back and forth. In fact, he said that they only communicate by post-it notes on the refrigerator. Oh, funny. So he sent in this long series of post-its. Now he it wasn't a stranger. He knew who they who had written these notes, but. At the same time, for us to look at these, you know, it gives us insight into those people and their relationship. Um, a teacher, you know, teachers have sent in notes that their kids have left on the floor of the classroom, and they might have been able to identify which student wrote it. But still, you know, it, it, it's funny and insightful to, to read these things. Um, personally, I'm trying to think. Uh, you know, I think there are a couple of finds in Found Magazine that, that that I know that friends wrote. You know, maybe just I saw in there recycling a notebook or something. You know. Uh, I remember my friends in Oakland, or, or Ber- they live right around Oakland and Berkeley. Um, uh-huh. They they had made this list. It was a list of for their kids. I, apparently, they had bought some Nerf guns for their kids, and the and the list was like a like a eighteen point list of rules about <laughs> how the Nerf guns must be handled and treated, and, and and it was just it was so hilarious. So I think I saw that you know in their heading on its way out they were you know in the garbage or the recycling and i was like just kind of snagged it to nice. publish it and found nice uh what's the most the most dangerous thing you found have you found any death threat node or some sort of terrorist communique um that's a great question too um you know certainly there there are some some pretty eerie finds sometimes um where people seem to be yeah like contemplating a crime of serious nature or or even confessing it and 
you know, it's hard when you're just it's just a piece of paper blowing down the, down the street to to know is this a uh, is this an actual threat? Is this a confession? Is this just someone's fantasy? You know, um, it, it's interesting. There, there's a great one of my favorite writers is named Charles Baxter, and he has a great short story. It's called "The Next Building I Plan to Bomb," and it's it's and it's it's interesting. It's uh, and this happened, he wrote this probably in the early '90s, like before. 9/11 and, and and you know the sort of increased terrorist threat, but but this this story it's about a guy who just finds a piece of notebook paper and it's got a drawing of a kind of nondescript building on it and it says under it the next building I plan to bomb and he and he he starts you know he takes it to the police station they don't take it seriously he starts everyone he shows it to though is is very certain about what building the drawing is of mm. and and. Uh, but but each of them has a different idea, and, and I think that I love that story because it kind of speaks to the nature of these found notes. You know, when they're so interpretive, you know, you find them, and whether it's a love note or some you know some some passionate love letter, some little tiny post-it note, um, you you know, two different people can look at the same note and come away with a totally different idea about what's really going on. Mm. There, there's a yeah. uh, one other story that comes to mind because I, I wouldn't say we found that many danger, really dangerous ones or anything, um, uh, but a couple other finds come to mind. One is this awesome collection. So this guy in Indiana sent us six boxes that he found outside of a dumpster, <laughs> and, and and basically they were the entire life files of this former FBI agent. Wow, named Elmer, and so. Uh, you know, maybe Elmer died, and like his family just thrown out the boxes, not really looked at what they were. Um, but but you read through them, and it's fascinating because it's basically like his his whole life files. And Elmer, you know, you you learn that he like always dreamed of becoming an FBI agent, and then he actually did it. And mm. but he is seems to be a particularly hapless FBI agent. <laughs> he he keeps losing his gun, and, and J. Edgar Hoover writes him these more and more. Sub- your letters kind of um, reprimanding him and demoting him to more and more obscure field bureaus <laughs> and <laughs> it's 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 an incredible chain of and and all, there's also all these like crazy um you know like mugshots from the 50s so this guy's career spanned a couple of decades anyway in in issue 5 of found magazine we did like a whole like 20 page spread where you kind of learn this FBI agent you know you learn his entire life story and it's it's just uh it's a fascinating journey um Okay, one other one other story. Uh, you know, I've got I've been looking for this recently. Uh, Aaron Comet Bust is a great zinester from the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote a story once about finding a an Uzi on the shores of Lake Merritt. And I think this was in the '90s at some point, and uh, and trying to figure out what to do with it. So that that's that's a fi- that's a find that I, I guess that we wouldn't know what to do with that found magazine, but but. Um, but uh, it's a it's a great story. Has anybody or have you ever tried to the idea of turning some of this into a screenplay or a TV show or something? I mean, just the I mean, those FBI files alone sound like you could have a, you know, a three season television show about a hapless FBI agent. I mean, there's there's so many rich and incredible stories that have risen out of out of found over the years. You know, I mean, yeah, you could you could do a dozen, a dozen very different kinds of films. Uh, based on some of these finds, um, or based on on Found Magazine itself, what what's been really excited, really exciting recently is um, this group has created a, a musical, a, a a found play, 
Uh, and it played at the Atlantic Theater in New York last year. That, that's like um, David Mamet and William H. Macy started this awesome theater, the Atlantic Theater. And, and this play, I, I really didn't know what to expect. I mean, I, I talked to the, these playwrights and, and uh, directors, and they, they were, seemed like cool guys. And, um, but the play was like totally mind-blowing. And uh, it's actually – now I know it's, it's going to perform in Philadelphia this fall and then in um, – uh, I know they're planning to bring it back to Broadway, but it's it's just awesome seeing these found notes come to life, you know. And, it's and, a musical, and, right? Yeah, yeah. To have people like singing these really insane songs um, based on these found notes, it's it's pretty awesome. Now, have you? I, I'm imagining you must have found manuscript things like think, like musical scores and things like that, as amongst the many things that have been found. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of like, um, well, I'd say one subgenre of finds. Is uh, is rap lyrics? You know, there's a lot of it's like blowing down the street, and so um, we've had, we've had some awesome musicians actually over the years write songs based on found notes. Sometimes just literally taking the note and singing it, you know, yeah, or or using it as a jumping off point for uh, for a song. I think you featured one on the last episode, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, you mentioned a found cassette. One of my favorite finds. Came from my hometown, Ypsilanti, Michigan. Um, a friend of mine found this cassette on the ground, and all all it said it just said "booty tape." <laughs> like, what do you do? You find a tape on the ground that says "booty tape." Well, Nigel, my friend, he, he raced home, put it in his boombox, like to see if this, you know, what was on this thing. It turned out to be these ten homemade like booty rap anthems. Like kids, kids had probably made this tape with a with a Casio keyboard mm. thing. And and each song was just one phrase repeated over and over again. You know, it was it was like, "Damn, the booty don't stop, girl. Damn, the booty don't stop. Damn, the booty don't stop, girl. What you gonna do? What you gonna do?" And so, that, you know, there was other songs, "Wiggle on the Flow," uh, "Taste That Booty Flavor." Uh, one of my favorites, "Yo, Ship Be Up in My Face." Um, and so, uh, my brother Peter, he he actually wrote a cover of the booty don't stop and he did it up in his own style it's it's pretty amazing in fact i could probably send you an audio file if you want to drop in a verse or two yes but, yes that would be but, fantastic but it, he, he wrote it as kind of like a folk ballad and so uh that's one of my favorite found songs that's great uh yeah in fact now has any of the the musical finds has that made it into the musical itself or was that all original tunes well yeah so the musical what they do it's it's really cool some of the songs are just original songs kind of, you know, based on the characters or, you know, what, what they're going through in the sort of plot-wise. Right. But, but, but many, I mean, something like 30 songs they do. And some are as short as like 20 seconds and some are, you know, a couple minutes. But many of them are literally taking a found note and just putting it to music. And, right. and it, it's, it's so interesting because, you know, and, and we did that in, in one of the found podcast episodes that you heard um, – you know, just like an ordinary person writing a sort of mundane letter, but you know, trying to express something urgently, mm-hmm. um, all of a sudden put to music, it it, it 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 really rises into this sort of transcendent thing where it's like beautiful music, but like just odd everyday language. You know, yeah, yeah, funny details is kind of woven in there. Um, anyway, yeah, the, mu- the musical, I it, it blew my mind. It's like it's really. Well, I, I I know people in Philly will have a chance to see it this fall, and and I think they'll love it. But 
I, I'm excited for more and more people to get the chance to see it because they, they've done something really special. And uh, and by all by all means, TV and film people, um, you know, check out Found Magazine, and you know, I'm we're, we're I'd love to see it come to life in 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 any kind of way. I would like to have a discussion with you after we're done recording this. Great, great. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, for reals, um, how were you surprised how labor intensive it was when you started like like the 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 Asian Oprah when you started tracking these people down? How how labor intensive is it? Let me ask that. Well, Maybe it's not that hard. Well, I would say it's. I mean, I think I think finding the people. Um, I think it just it varies. You know, there's there's some where yeah, you Google someone and there you go, there's their office. Of course, even once you track them down, like I was saying, doesn't mean it's easy to get them to talk to you. Right. Um, they had that experience with Jet certainly, um, although he ended up being pretty incredible. Um, but uh, but but there's some people who like there's just it just depends how many clues are in the actual found note or mm-hmm. letter. Yeah. There's this incredibly beautiful and soulful love letter that we published in an earlier issue of Found Magazine. This guy in Oregon is writing a letter to this waitress who he's been in love with for like 10 years. And he he kind of traces their friendship and talks about his his drug use and, and this kid he had, you know, and all the ups and downs of his life and how it's only now that he's discovered his mission in life which is to build and race the baddest Nissans in the Northwest. <laughs> now, now that he's kind of found his, his true path, he feels comfortable letting her know how he's loved, much he's loved her for 10 years. Wow. And, and the thing was, it was found in a sealed envelope, so it's not clear that she ever even received it. Um, mm. Like maybe, who, who knows how it got there. Um, and so all we have is their first names, the guy who wrote it and, wow. and, the, guy, and the woman she, he was writing to. But that's one that I'm going to do a little more investigating. I'm going to go to that town. It's Oregon City, Oregon. And I'm going to try to find the coffee shop that he mentions. Or I'm just, you know, this was from a few, several years ago, too. But I'm going to do whatever it takes to find this guy and this woman he was writing to to make sure she actually gets that letter. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know if we thought out, quite realized how labor intensive it would be to. Um, to, you know, to find these people, or, or frankly, to you know, to piece together, you know, forty-minute, you know, really c- compelling pieces of radio. I, I certainly have done it over the years with This American Life, but, um, you know, that's working with Ira Glass and Alex Bloomberg and Julie Snyder. You know, right. legends in radio who, you know, they, you know, <laughs> they can, you know, sneeze and 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 something <laughs> brilliant comes out. You know. Um, and so, you know, just, just sort of relearning the process and working with some awesome people here. Um, but you just re- realize how, you know, to make something that sounds natural and easy just re- requires so much uh, work, you know, editing and combing it through. But, um, but, you know, yeah, we're happy with what we've put out so far and, and we're getting a great response. So it's been exciting. Well, it seems that as, uh, as the podcast gains listenership, you could start putting you know, almost a section and they're going, Hey, here's three things we're trying to find out more about. Well, exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. And, and in fact, um, we are starting to do that, um, on the, like on the found podcast, Facebook page, we're starting to mm. put some stuff up and just say, Hey, we need help finding this one. I think even on the second episode of the podcast, I, I mentioned, uh, find a flyer that I found myself on the university of Michigan campus 
uh, in the late 90s, this guy who, who was looking for love. Oh, right. And, and he kind of bravely posted this flyer um, <laughs> sort of saying who he was and what he was looking for. Now, this, this guy, we don't, you know, he listed an email address that's now defunct. We don't, we don't have any information about him except for what he, what he has on this flyer. But he, he, there's enough clues that maybe somebody could, will be able to f- help find him. And, uh, and so, yeah, it, it's really fun to kind of ask listeners for, you know, to participate and to help us solve these mysteries and find these people and, you know, offer clues. And so, um, you know, even, even some people have already written in. I, I mentioned that Baddest Nissan's note and uh, – um, a couple of people wrote in from uh, the Pacific Northwest, and they said they told us about some sort of Nissan clubs, basically. Huh. You know, and they sort of suggested re- we reach out to them because, hey, if this guy's building the baddest Nissans in the Northwest, he, <laughs> you know, he, he may be involved in one of these clubs. Wow, As you're like a detective. Yeah, it does feel a little bit like that. Interesting. So, does the found experience constitute a uh, a profession for you at this point? Um. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, is 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 this your your main source of gainful employment? You know, not really, not really. Um, I I'm a writer and a filmmaker. Um, I I write for a lot of magazines, and um, I wrote this book called My Heart Is an Idiot, which came out a couple of years ago. <laughs> um, and my own per, sort of personal, I fi- I figured if if I'd been, you know sharing other people's most personal notes and letters in found magazine for the last 10 years. The, the only fair thing to do would be to sort of share my own stories. So there's <laughs> pretty embarrassing stuff in there, but uh, it's pretty personal, but it, um, I think relatable. Um, my heart is an idiot. That's the book. And then, um, and then I make doc, I've been making some documentary films. So I made one called Medora. That's about a high school basketball team in, in rural Indiana and uh, I'm working on a new one um, called Emmanuel that uh, should be finished by the end of this year. So, you know, I would say those are maybe my, you know, day jobs. But um, but found, you know, I really think of it as more of like a community art project than uh-huh. a, biz- a business sort. But it, but it's definitely it's consumed a lot, most of my last 15 years. So um, it is it is my main thing, it, and it's something I'm so proud of, and and something that just you know has like just grown in some really wonderful ways over the years. Well, it really is an interesting project. I mean, just to look at it at its entirety from when you first put together your first copy of the magazine to today and just the various permutations of how it sprung up. And uh, in a lot of ways, you could almost look at some of the stuff we find on social media now as being a almost offshoot of that, right? People put up weird pictures yeah. of stuff they've found and come across. It has nothing, no association with your publication or anything, but it all feels like it's all part of the same genetic code. Uh, Yeah, that's, I, I think that's a really nice way to put it. I I think, uh, yeah, you know, it, it all shares this kind of sense of curiosity and engagement with, with the world around us. And like, you know, isn't that weird? Isn't that bizarre? Isn't that funny? Isn't that moving or sad? You know, like, um, yeah, you know, whether it's, um, yeah, a piece of paper blowing down the street or some funny street sign or, you know, people will post on social media like a, the packaging of some <laughs> weird product that they found in Peru or or United Arab Emirates that, you know, ha- sort of has an inadvertently funny phrase on it or something, uh-huh. you know. But, those yeah, those are all of the, of the sort of born of that same sort of appreciation for 
weird, weird and fascinating things. So based on the responses you've had, is, is this um, sort of fascination with found objects or found notes or found cast off things? Is it universal? Do you think? Is it global? Is it North America? Is it uh, European? You know, is it first world? Is it sure. how, how far flung is our fascination with these things? Yeah, well, I mean, we've certainly received finds from just dozens of countries and and um, all over the place. You know, I actually think some places like Scandinavia are so clean, <laughs> like like <laughs> Germany to some extent, like where it's it's almost can be hard to find like pieces of paper blowing down the street or left behind on a on a public transportation. Um, but but I think for the most part. Um, you know, we've had people write to us from, you know, Morocco, Kenya, South Korea, not North Korea yet, I don't believe, uh, <laughs> but 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 certainly um, some of the far corners of the Earth, um, Antarctica, we've had fines sent into us. No kidding. And and so, you know, I think it does speak to this universal, uh, just sort of, you know, I, I think any of us when we're you know, walking to work, you know, sitting on the subway. I think, you know, we look at the strangers around us and we wonder, like, what are they thinking about? What's on their minds? And I don't think it matters what culture or what part of the world you come from. I think that's kind of a natural instinct. And so these, when you start looking at these found notes and people revealing themselves in such incredible ways, like, I don't know, it's it's utterly fascinating. Huh. Uh, do you have any other? Do you have other tidbits? You said you had a few things gathered. Well, I've got there. a bunch of finds. I kind of um, spread out here on the table in front of me. Um, I, I'll share a few. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's some. Uh, well, here's some to-do lists. <laughs> I, I, I'm a list maker myself, so I always think these are kind of funny. Um, here's one from uh, from Las, Las Vegas. It's actually just a one-item to-do list. It just says "must win money." <laughs> And then, uh, where is this one? This one's from Bellevue, Washington. It says, to do, turn in library books, find out about college, mail dad's shit, <laughs> pay bills in advance, write crystal, hide guns. <laughs> <laughs> well, that guy has an interesting set of priorities. That's right. <laughs> I'd probably hide the guns before I did most of that other stuff. Hide the but... guns, then turn in the library books. <laughs> um, Here's uh here's one from oh I, I remember someone gave this to me in Burlington, Vermont. It was the first ever to not do list that we ever <laughs> received. You know, we get a lot of to do lists. This one says the to not do list. Do not spend money on anything except clothing for Halloween. <laughs> Grocery items, Sarah's birthday dinner, sushi, metal show, and the movie Kill Bill. Save all other money. <laughs> Goes on here. <laughs> do not fall in love with any strangers. Do not procrastinate the trip to Japan. Do not eat junk, any form of potato or corn chips. No Fritos, no Lay's, no Ruffles, no Keep Cod, nothing. <laughs> Do not start another tab at work. Do not fret over Wendy or, in any case, being alone. Do not borrow money from mom. Do not eat at Oasis or any shit food place. <laughs> Do not watch pornographic movies. Do not masturbate. Do not masturbate. <laughs> it's repeated. <laughs> yep, it's got it twice here. Well, the second one's in all caps. Ah, okay. Uh, um, so uh, I, uh, you know, I, lo- I just love these kinds of things. Th- this one, there's one more to-do list here. This one, the first three items are crossed out. 
and the last two still yet to be done. Oh, dear. It says, things to do, get a new skateboard deck, crossed out. Think of band names, crossed out. <laughs> get lawn mowing service going, crossed out. The last two still yet to be done. Hook up with Jen, make it to the sixth grade. <laughs> Everyone's got to have a dream. <laughs> Make it to the sixth. Wow, he was he was got his his lawnmower repair business going though. Yeah, before yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's on he's on the path. That's nice. <laughs> um, this one from San Jose. It just says, "I took some hose to get some burritos." Nice. All right. Um, Beginning of a rap song, maybe. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, here's one that was found in Minneapolis, and this is like. A guy's monthly budget list. It's typed up. And uh, I'm going to drink some water. Hold on yeah, a second. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and, I, and I relate to this because I'm always trying to you know, make sure I have enough money for the month. This guy had typed it up, sorted it out. It says monthly budget, rent 600 cell phone 50 electric gas 45 cable 60 bus taxi 60 food 500 Liquor six hundred. Wow. Okay. Laundry thirty. Crack six hundred. <laughs> wow. Well, I like how he has an equilibrium between his liquor and his crack. It, well, exactly. You got to keep that balanced. Um, it says attorney two fifty, miscellaneous two fifty, and savings one hundred. Ooh. So that's a responsible dude. That, that is <laughs> putting a hundred bucks away into savings every month. You know, if he could spend a little bit less on crack and liquor, he'd be golden. That's right. That's right. But um, he's just like it's an equilibrium. He just knows that's what he needs to get ahead. That hundred bucks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, honestly, he's he puts more into savings each month than I do. So I, I respect him a little bit. Um, and then just to give you a sense of the range of stuff, like I'll share with you one that's a little more. Um, you know, here's one. Oh, I've got a few more funny ones here. This one is one of those mystic, cryptic ones that uh, you just, you know there's got to be an explanation, but it's hard to sort out exactly what's happening here. It just says, more buns, more cups, less lies. <laughs> I love yeah. Davey, you could have a side t-shirt business just using some yeah. of this stuff, man. Wouldn't that be a good one? Yeah. <laughs> I know there's a story there, but I you know, have to figure out what that is. Um, here's an interesting one. Well, college campuses are good places to find stuff. And um, from Austin, Texas, uh, the University of Texas campus, I have a couple. Uh, let's see. Where's the, where's the first one here? Oh, here we go. This, this one was found outside of a dorm. It says, Jenna, can I give you a sensual massage? Ooh. Then I will talk about Jesus. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right, that's, uh, sign that's, me up. That's almost like a sexual s- sucker punch of some yeah, sort. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's here's another one from Austin. It says, "Dear Alicia, what were you thinking? Fucking Ben in the next room while I was sick with mono? You are a dirty bitch, and I rebuke you. I thought we had something special. Clearly, you didn't. I hope you enjoyed tramping it up in fucking half of Austin. Please die, sincerely, Roger." Wow, I don't know that he used rebuke properly. By yeah. the way, <laughs> yeah. Well, again, mono. He couldn't. That's true. He's a little dingy. Feverish. Yeah, yeah. Um, here's oh, uh, here's one that's totally different. But it's this is just you know, there's some of these are just really laugh out loud funny. But but some of them are a little more heartbreaking or beautiful. And and the woman that found this actually told me this story. But um, let me read it to you first, and then yeah. I'll tell you a little bit more about it afterwards. Um, it's just a kid writing to his mom. So he says. 
Dear Mom, I miss you. I really wish you were here. There's been a lot of bad stuff in my life, but I'm sure you already know that. There's also been some really good things, like Justin. He's my best friend, and so is Bethany. Hey, Mom, guess what's the best part of all? There's a girl. Her name is Jenna. We've been dating for about a month and a half now. I love her so much. I know if you were here, you would like her a lot. She makes me so happy. There's nobody I've ever been more happy with. She's changed my life in so many ways. She's there for me. She's someone who actually cares about me. I prayed to God every day that I would get her, and I did. It's unbelievable. I remember when I was suicidal, not anymore. I wouldn't even think about it. I just love her so much for being with me, you know. This girl is wonderful, Mom. She helps me through a lot. I love her more than she can imagine. I've never felt this way about anyone. I would die for this girl, Mom. I love her so much, and she's scared that we're not going to see each other when I move. But I promised her we would see each other just like normal. Well, I got my license this summer, so I will be out here every day. So yeah, I got to go. I love you so much, Mom. I'll write you again. Bye. Your son, Colin. P.S. Trevor misses you, too. And so the woman that found this letter, she told me the story. She said she, you know, she told me where she found it, and she said that she was at a cemetery, actually. Oh. And, and she saw in the middle of the place was like this big old tree, and caught up in the highest branches was a balloon with a ribbon coming down, and tied to the ribbon was a piece of paper. So she scaled all the way up the, note, uh, all the, way up the tree to pull down the balloon, and, and, and this was the note that was tied to the balloon, like what? this letter I just shared. So basically you, you can like picture this kid, Colin, like going to visit his mom at the cemetery – Writing her this note and then like sending it up to her in this balloon up to heaven. And, um, you know, it's just notes like this that just kind of move and affect me so much, you know. They yeah. make me want to pick up every piece of paper I see floating <laughs> down the street, you know, blowing down the alleyway or hanging from a balloon in a tree. Wow. That's, that's heavy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Last one for you. Um, this one from my hometown, Ann Arbor, Michigan. It's a kid writing to his dad. His dad, I guess. So it says, Dad, come get me at the coffee shop when you're done taking a crap. <laughs> kind of a haiku-like beauty and perfection of that one. That's, oh. Yeah, that's nice. I like that one so much. But anyways, you get, you get a sense of the range of stuff people find and send into us on a daily basis, really. So if you or your listeners you know, find something or have found something, uh, we'd love to see it. And they can go to the Found Magazine website, which is foundmagazine.com. Um, and we've got our address there where they can send, send their finds in and, you know, they can scan them and email them or make a crisp photocopy or, or send the original. Um, and then if they want to hear the found podcast, uh, that's, yeah. you know, they, it's on iTunes or Spotify or Google play or Stitcher. Um, and, uh, there's also on the Wondery website, which is wondery.com slash found. Um, not only are all the episodes up there. That we talked about the Asian Oprah and this episode, recent episode, this recent episode about a found baby. Yeah. But we also have a bunch of the original finds on there, so you can see the finds that uh, that we're talking about on the show. And it's just wondery, like wonder with a Y at the end. Yeah, yeah. dot com slash found. Great, but, we'll, um, and we'll have links up on on our Succotash site as well to those oh, places, great. which will be great. And that that found baby episode was just amazing. Thank you, thank you, man. <laughs> yeah, that those guys are so incredible and. Uh, just you know, people, I was talking to someone today about it. They, they said, uh, you know, yeah, basically it's just a story. A guy is on the New York city subway and he finds a newborn baby. And, uh, they, they thought that episode might be about, you know, maybe he reunited with the person 16 years later. Cause it, this was in 2000, I think. Yeah. 
And um, but but yeah, it, no, it goes in some very unexpected directions. So yeah, very but, much so. Yeah, I'm glad you heard that one. That was great, uh, Davey. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, I can't recommend uh, people check out found the the Soundcast enough. Yes. And uh, check out the website, check out the Facebook page. And uh, uh, like I said, um, I think I'll be writing this up as well. So I'll let you know when that's going to happen. Well, that'd be great. I really appreciate it. And it's, it's really fun talking to you about this stuff, Mark. So, um, yeah, well, thanks. Thanks, thanks again. Thanks for your time. And stick around for just a second after we get done here because I okay. do want to talk to you. Will do. All right. Thanks, thanks Davey Rothbard. Thanks. Power. Thanks, Mark. Again to Davey for taking the time to chat with us. He gave you the rundown on where you can find his found podcast or soundcast. Plus, you can always visit our home site, SuccotashShow.com, where I will have a live link up to his site as well. All right, we have one more burst of durst coming up shortly, but first, let's make a cannonball into the old tweet sack. Hello, Tweety. We got a note from Gwenavan PR introducing the dark comedy of Drew Michael. That's what they say. He was uh, just on Comedy Central, the half hour, and his new album is Funny to Death. Now, I would play you a clip from his album, but the PR company didn't think to send one along or a free copy of the album. Just a note that's uh, available from iTunes. Well, Gwenavan, so is Succotash. We're on iTunes, too. But I'll tell you what. Drew Michael does have a soundcast called I Might Be Wrong. He hit his Epi 100 last May. I'm not sure, but that might be his last episode to date. He's been very busy. Since the show is free to download from his home site at drewmichael.com, and we happen to play clips from soundcasts normally during Succotash Clips, here's a little sample from his episode 100. The reason I put out these episodes and the reason I put out so much stuff, whether it's I write something, whether it's stand up. I mean, there's stand up material that I put out on the first album, Lovely, where I don't necessarily identify with it. Like At first, you kind of detach from it. Like you, I don't identify with it anymore. It's not that I don't believe it. It's just that it doesn't feel like me. It doesn't feel like who I am. And so that's, that's one of the reasons I like to move away from material, not just because I get bored with it, but because I don't identify with it. I don't feel like it's coming from an honest place. So I recorded it and put it away. And I look back on some of it, and some, a lot of it I agree with in, in principle, but then it's, it's like I don't, I don't agree with the emotional place that it came from, or I don't identify with that place. And so I could see myself in 10 years looking back at that and being like, I, I wish I didn't say that, although I wouldn't think about it that way. I would say, I don't think that anymore. It's not that I, I wish I didn't say it because like the porn thing that I had to say that I had to go through those things in order to get to where I got to. And I don't mind documenting that. I don't mind this sort of, um, exhibitionism involved in showing people the evolution. Cause I think I'm being as honest with myself as I possibly can be at each time. You know, whenever I talk on, on this show, whenever I do stand up. I'm being honest to that moment. And even with stand-up, I'm a little bit more experimental. I'll say some shit that I don't even know if I believe at that time just to see how it feels. And if I get resistance and then how I, how I react to that resistance. Like if I say something and people resist and I'm, and I'm like, I double down. I'm like, no, I actually think that. That's how I know I'm really onto something. That's why I think the best thing a bit can do uh, out of the gate is bomb because it tests like how 
much you actually believe in it. If it kills, then it's easy. You just keep doing it and it kills. But if it if it bombs, then you have to be like, oh, wait, do I really think this? Is it worth you know, taking it out and having to work through it. And, and especially if it bombs and there's like a vitriol or some anger in the crowd, then, then it's like, Oh wait, do I, am I willing to navigate that for the sake of this bit? Or am I just trying to shock people? And it makes you uh, assess that. And if you are really like, no, 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 fuck them. I, this, they're wrong. And then you're like that conviction will power you to, um, you know, writing something really, you know, meaningful to you because you believe it. They're back. I knew they'd be back. I'm talking about ear goggles. The Soundcast out of Seattle featuring Jeremy Grater, Aaron Ristro, and Stacy Black. Now, they'd hung up those old ear goggles a few months ago, but then I got a note this past week from Jeremy, who responded to my response to a tweet that they were coming back, in which I said I'd feature them when they did get back on the sound waves. He says... Thanks in advance for the feature. We go into the studio on the on the 14th. That's the 14th of September. We still need to pick a release date, though. Probably Thursdays, but that's not solid yet. It's just a weekly show for 12 weeks. Then we'll take a break again until spring and do another 12 weeks, then begin that rotation as long as we can stand it. That's the plan anyway, unquote. They sent me a clip but to a special summer sneak peek they did. We'll feature that on the upcoming episode of Succotash Clips number 140. Another show from the Northwest that's heading the other direction is AirRaid.net with Aaron Roden. He announced on Facebook that his six-year-old soundcast is going to head off into the sound set. Here's a part of that announcement. Quote, it is officially official. AirRaid.net will have its final episode in October. This decision has taken the better part of nine months to come to, and it was not an easy one for me to make. I built this show from nothing and am proud, uh, extremely proud of where it has gone. But I am tired, and, extre- uh, and the cost of continually putting out a show once a week for six years has finally outweighed the benefit for me. This is not to say that I am not having fun with the conversations I'm still having or will have in the coming weeks, but it is truly exhausting doing not- something like this by yourself. Not to mention the time it takes away from being with my awesome family. Well, I am sorry to see Aaron check out, but I have a feeling that maybe after a breather and a chance to miss it, he'll be back. But we'll find out. I'm setting up a chance to talk to him about his soundcast journey with his Air Raid show, and we will feature that convo right here after I get it locked in to the system. Well, that's about all the meaningful notes we got the past week or so, but we still got a lot of love via social media. So here's a festive carnival of gratitude to all those folks kind enough to tweet, retweet, forward, mention, like, update, heart, email, Instagram, star, or otherwise pass the succotash this past week in the social media. Jabs of the D-Head Factor, Phil Lairness, podcasting fans, Choo Choo Stew, Christine Blackburn, Abner Surd, LA Podcast Festival, Showbriz Studios, Wendy Stagall, Let's Chat Podcast, Kristen Chambers, The Slant, Epic Film Guys, Caps Lock, The Mockers Podcast, Little Greek Law, Lo- Little Geek Lost. Jack from ZXH, John Medina, Mike Marlowe, Renegade Radio, Changes in Latitude, Salty Language, Accidentally TWT, Alexa Ray, DJ and Rappers, Thunder Taco, Adam Wolf, Jason Klom, Dave in the Cave, Motherhood in Hollywood, Jeffrey Welchman, Tyson Sainer, hey, our erstwhile associate producer mentioned us in the social media. Thanks, Tyson. 
Rita Ballou, Broken Filter Live, S. Anthony Thomas, Three is Comedy, New Trick Podcast, Campfires and Color Wars, Lee Keckner, Alfred Adrian, Dave Nelson, The Sideshow Network, Monica Homburg, Podcast Booster Bot, Bloody Hot Comedy, Now That I'm Older, Tim Kelly, TWOTW, Kristen Merriman, Engvall's Two Cent Podcast, Tuckler Booth, Jay Milstein, Mark Malkoff, Drinking in the Park, Caleb Bacon, The Tao of Comedy, Michael Green, Doctor Who Dark Journey, Illusionoid, Constant Struggle, Improv Utopia, Ice in the Face, Rush Order, Renegade Dave, Dave Hoge, Paul Hogue, Megan M., Rick Overton, War of the Words, The Naked Porch Podcast, How Would You, Tattooed Bananas, Kelly McCossey, Sean Parker, and Clayton English. All right, now a few days late, but that's entirely my fault. Here's Durst in a few words on the subject of Labor Day. Hey, guys. Will Durst here with a few choice words about the most underrated and unheralded of all American holidays, Labor Day. It slides by almost as an afterthought in a mix of resignation and dread, without a single aisle at Walgreens dedicated to its approach. One strike against Labor Day is its bookend status with Memorial Day as reversed signposts of summer. One shakes hands hello and the other waves bye-bye. As they say in Game of Thrones, winter is coming, and this time they mean it. Labor Day is the holiday spacer, without which there would be an extended blank spot and absolutely no reason to buy supermarket potato salad from the 4th of July to Halloween. To be fair, another problem is the name. Labor Day just sounds so laborious, like it's going to require exertion, which no one wants to hear from a holiday. And all women who have given birth certainly cast it a dubious glance. Perhaps we should hold a contest to rename it. Labor Less Day, Labor Free Day, Freedom From Work Day, Indolence Day, Screw the Bosses Day, One Less Day of Living Day to Day Day. And we mustn't forget the meaning of the holiday. On the first Monday of September, we get to take a whole day off to honor that tiny segment of society that actually works for a living. So it's not for everyone. Obviously, those poor unfortunates employed in the world of politics are exempt. Labor Day is a testament to all those who sweated before us fighting for our rights and to those who will sweat after us fighting for their children's rights and each and every one of us in between. So long live Labor Day, and long live the American worker. Enjoy your day. For Succotash, the comedy podcast podcast, I'm Will Durst. Catch Will as much as you can this election year. It's when a political comic is really at his finest. Find out where he's performing by visiting his home site, willdurst.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Will Durst. Also, I'm helping to organize a really fun live show on the weekend before Halloween. This is Saturday, January 29th, that Will's going to be involved in called Grim Readers, which features comedians from around the Bay Area reading works of gothic horror. It'll be at the 142 Throckmorton Theater in downtown Mill Valley. There'll be a costume contest and all sorts of fun. Uh, That's the same place, of course, where we're doing the Spaghetti Jam 40th reunion show this weekend. So go to throckmortontheater.org for ticks and deets. That's going to do it for Epi 139 of Succotash Chats. My thanks once again to Davey Rothbard of Found, the magazine, the musical, and the soundcast for being our special guest this time around. 
If you'd like to help keep Succotash going strong, please visit our home site, SuccotashShow.com, where you can click on our Donate button. You can also shop at Amazon.com by using the banner at the top of the page, and we get a little taste of that. Or you can grab yourself some merch at the Succotashery. You'll also find a link to the home site for the Laughable app there, where you can learn more about this great new way to find, download, stream, and follow your favorite and soon-to-be favorite comedy podcast. That's Laughable. Check it out. We have a link on our home site. Also, I announced this last episode. You can now find Succotash Show up on the iHeartRadio network. So search for us there and give us a listen when you get a chance. We will either be back with an episode of Succotash Clips or Succotash Chats next time. I've not decided which yet, but until next time, thanks so much for passing the Succotash. Good listening to Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher Smart Radio, and on SoundCloud. You can also hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Email us at marc at SuckatashShow.com. Or call into the Suckatash hotline at our non-toll-free call number, 818-921-7212. That number again is 818-921-7212. is produced and engineered with the kind assistance of Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, home of the hit. Our associate producer is Tyson Saner. Our musical director is Scott Harvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I am your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the succotash. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>